Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Bubba. Thank you, everyone joining us from LinkedIn. Welcome, everyone, to episode three of the Gamify Everything Beyond the Meta podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Howard. And this evening, we're joined by Phil Ranta. Welcome, Phil. Hello. Good to see everybody. Hi, LinkedIn Live and everybody on Discord. I'll be posting the Discord server link in the LinkedIn chat for you all to join us. If you want to ask some questions to Phil Live, we'll be doing that via LinkedIn. And uh, shout out to Rage Networks. This is a great milestone. The Gamify Everything podcast is now being hosted and distributed through Rage Networks. So they're the same team that supports the Eat for Life podcast. So now uh, at the end of every episode, that team will go and get the podcast out to wherever you enjoy your other favorite podcasts. Nice. It will also include some really cool intro and outro music. Uh, Thanks to Sebastian from the Eat for Life podcast. Shout out to him and Gold Standard Gaming for curating that music and helping us get that license. So you won't hear it here, but when you hear it later on the podcast, you'll know where it came from, Sebastian. There we go. You mean chosen one, Sebastian, right? The chosen. Sebastian, the I know. Chosen. Yeah, Hi, Sebastian. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, Phil, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been ahead of the curve for over a decade. Uh, you know, some might call you a visionary. And oh, you, you... they're liars. No, it's a... <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I a lot of people say like I'm a futurist, or I just, but really, I think that I'm more boring than that. I like new tech, and oftentimes picking new tech to win is the right call, right? Like if something is starting to blow up and then you go, Hey, that's starting to blow up. That's interesting. And then you lean into it. People are like, how would you know? And I'm like, Oh, you know, like at uh, 2006, I took a job in mobile content. Um, I was the executive producer at a company that was doing ringtones and wallpapers and early pre-smartphone apps and all of that. And people went like, wow, you were in the mobile phone thing early. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a TV in your pocket. Like, going to happen right there's no way that doesn't happen so yeah that that all that to say is uh that's my false modesty you're right i'm a visionary <laughs> <laughs> totally a visionary i call it all i have a crystal ball in my, my, my pocket it's my cell phone i read my news updates that's a fact it's magic uh i was employee number nine over at full screen we became the biggest influencer network in the world um and then i became coo over at studio 71 where we had an exit and we became a very large influencer network. Then I was at Mob Crush uh, building for game streamers. Then I was the head of gaming creators over at Facebook for a while. Uh, And now I'm the CEO of Wormhole Labs, uh, where we're building metaverse technology. And then in between, I've got a lot of investments and board seats and advisories. And I like to spout off on LinkedIn. And I suppose that's me in a nutshell. I really like buying nfts right now i don't know if that's an okay thing to say but i'm a collector as you can tell behind me those are all my retro video games so oh, i thought those are your NFTs. those those are my physical nfts uh no up there is my atari 2600 i've had since i was three so that's that's how og i game but yeah it's you know it's uh i i like a uh, fun new technology uh, where it intersects with entertainment. So, so you, you've been bullish on NFTs, obviously, for how long? Two years, three years? Do you have any crypto kitties? Like how? Yeah, how OG I got you in really the into crypto kitties for like three months. So, <laughs> 2017, me thought it was the coolest thing. Of course, back then they were just like blockchain. They don't even think they were blockchain collectibles. It was just like, hey, you can buy this thing. Mm-hmm on a blockchain and then you breed them and it's like gambling. And I went gambling. Okay. Uh, 
So yeah, I played a fair amount of crypto keys and I sold them. And then my buddy Noah got a job at this company called Lucid Site, and they started doing blockchain collectibles. So I got interested there. He sent me some free ones. There was like this app in 2018 called Cryptables, which were essentially NFTs. I thought it was so cool and it didn't end up making it because it was just a little too early. And then me and my buddy Seth Shapiro, we've been talking about um, blockchain collectibles for a few years. Uh, and yeah, we we were trying to figure this uh, play out called Artaku. We didn't think it would blow up in America. We thought it would blow up in Asia first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then egg on our face, it blew up in America first. And so as soon as that blew up, we went, hey, this is what we've been working on. So I kind of uh, started working on more of the agency side where a portfolio company of mine, we are verified. I'm an advisor. I've helped them get in NFTs, train up their account managers. We've been doing a lot of NFT drops with uh, brands, IP holders and creators over the past year. It's been a lot of fun. When you talk about brands, have you, and I don't know if you can answer this if it's or if it's on NDA. Like, are there any major, like, well-known brands that people here listening, both in Discord and and LinkedIn, might recognize that you can share? Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the ones I worked on are so NDA. The crypto market is so weird. Like, nobody wants to say how much money they made. Nobody wants to say who was involved. But like, I I've done some stuff with Herdwell, which is a very cool brand that uh, helps independent musicians blow up by finding them, packaging them with influencers through Spotify playlists. So they did some really cool things where they took like indie artists and influencers and then put them together um, behind an NFT. And then we sold those on crypto.com slash NFT. Um, super, super, super fun. Um, and uh, we've done some influencer drops with Suite, uh, Suite.io, which has been cool. And we've got a... a bunch of cool ones coming up uh including an original ip one where you might see some of my creativity with crypto.com slash nft called own every word um which is harkening back to my old youtube channel pronunciation manual it's it's straight up goofy surrealist comedy right in my sweet spot so <laughs> and that's coming at the end of the month the last wednesday of january on crypto.com slash nft you should totally do a comedy series on linkedin like just just yes. do a set like every week I was thinking about for a while there there's no there's two things that I think are huge gaps in the comedy market. Now I talk about comedy in a gross way because I became a business person, but there's two gaps in the market. One is there's never been an entire one hour comedy special dedicated to video games that I've been able to find. And I think I could put together a killer one hour set just for gamers. I think I could do that. And then two is like, Who's like the Dilbert comedian who's like talking about like office politics and being an executive? Like, I don't think that that exists either. I might have to like develop a character around both of those things and just make it so. Well, I look forward to it. I know you, you're you getting beta access to the new basically Twitter spaces slash, um, you know, whatever they call it, clubhouse thing that's going to be launching on, on LinkedIn. So maybe that's a great opportunity to try some new content. Yeah, 100%. I'm thinking of, do like, I've never done a thing where I just go live and see what happens. Like, every time I've ever done a go, I'm such a type A. Every time I go live, I'm like, all right, this is the first segment, and then we're going to take Q&A, and then we're, you know. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe with my coffee every morning when I'm usually writing my LinkedIn posts, if I don't just, like, go live on LinkedIn chat and say, like, who wants to talk about it? I have an opinion on everything. Like, who watched Witcher Season 2? Let's chat, you know? I think it'd be fun. Show another side of myself, you know? Yeah. If I did a morning go live on LinkedIn and be like, 
help me wake up while I wait for this right. caffeine to kick like, in. Uh, I can't <laughs> handle the day. I've been up since 5.30 and I'm still halfway asleep. Well, you're like, you've got two kids, right? I've got two kids too. Yeah. yeah so, and my one-year-old wakes up at like 4.30 or 5 every morning. He just, and he's up, up. Like if we don't go get him out of his crib, he's like, he's cranky. So that used to be my LinkedIn writing time was like quiet mornings. Then as soon as I had kids, now I'm like frantically writing down LinkedIn posts on my phone while I'm waiting in line at the bank. Like if I don't get this done in two minutes, no one will hear my thoughts. I was on the phone with somebody last week and they said, you must be from up north. I was like, no, I was born right outside of Atlanta in DeKalb County. I lived in, I'm from Georgia, lived in Georgia for like 20 years and been down here for for 10 years. She's like, you talk so fast. I said, well, here, (laughs) here's what's happening is I'm trying to get all of my thoughts out in a conversation finished before I have to go change the next diaper. There we go. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm so rude now on conference calls. As soon as we're done with the business part and we get to the small talk part, I always go, well, okay, that about wraps it up. I got, you know, even if it's like five minutes in. And the reason why is I've got to fit in all of my work before it's kid time or else it cuts into my wife time. And like, it's becomes quite the balancing act, you know? I was, I was, we had a tech startup, Tampa Bay startup week. This was like Mm -hmm. two years ago or year before, I guess we all started doing fully remote Mm -hmm. and, or maybe it was that first year. And I had gotten an award, like track captain of the year, because I did an entire segment on gaming and esports. And like, I just had signed in and then I had to change Johnny's diaper. So he's three now. So this was like two years ago. It was like just done being one. And like, as I'm changing the diaper, like I hear them call my name that I got the award. So then like, I just kind (laughs) of waved and then like went back to changing diaper. Everybody like in the room, the virtual room started laughing because they knew like I I was there, but I got to go do this other thing real quick because this could get messy, literally. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It's tough. I've I've had to hang up conference calls. I've had, you know, it's weird because it's when, when you have kids, that's got to be priority one, two, and three. So you could be talking to a billionaire investor. And if the kid starts crying, you got to be like, sorry, I got to call you back. This is my life. You know? So tell me a little bit about wormhole and, and actually kind of a, a precursor to that, like, I've heard people talking about recently about Zuckerberg saying that even before they changed Facebook's name to Meta, they were already heading down the metaverse path. And obviously they bought uh, Oculus. This mm-hmm. is what, five, six years ago. Yeah. So I'm guessing that that became part of the overall strategy that would impact or at least influence some decisions in each of the different areas. How did you, from a Facebook gaming perspective, what what gave you the inclination that the metaverse is happening there? Yeah, I well... I I don't know if Zuck and I are approaching it in the same way. Uh, that there's me being diplomatic, um, but yeah, I mean, I was at OC six when they announced Facebook Horizons, and of course, you know, I I had the Quest One. I've got the Quest Two. Like I I was huge into Google Cardboard when that was happening. Like I love VR. Do I see that as the dominant experience that people are going to jump in in order to experience your everyday metaverse? I really don't. And I think it's because people want spatial awareness around them. And I think that people want something they can take off and put on. And maybe that looks like glasses. But to me, the most powerful metaverses are things that solve real problems that are additive to your real world experience. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that the reason why I got so 
hot on wormhole labs is i was i was talking to the so the actual uh original founder of wormhole labs i've been working with off and on for 15 years he was a guy by the name of curtis hutton futurist in the space he actually uh was the chairman of the uh cell phone company i was telling you about that was very early in terms of like live streaming on mobile phones we had like something called shark cam that was optimized for the v3 razor like pre-smartphone um but we were it was very bleeding edge tech and the idea of video games and social media coming together uh call it metaverse call it whatever i thought that that was the that was the thing right is like how do you find something that's useful that has real world impact that my mom would use, you know, at the age of 65 that can encourage more real world interactivity, not through a gaming context, which can be alienating to some. So when he first showed me the original wormhole, I went, wow, okay, this, I can see how this would have applications as far reaching as real estate and insurance claims all the way down towards my friends are going to Coachella and I can't but I would love to drop my avatar in there and feel like I'm walking around with them. So what we developed was a completely user-generated metaverse that's built on top of the real world. So everything from the locations to the avatars to the content within the world user-generated. And the way that this works is someone holds up their phone, spins around in a circle and captures an environment, what we call a smart bubble. And it also brings in all of the ambient data from that. So uh, live video, recorded video, um, shoppable links, anything that we can suck into that environment. And it becomes a fully interactive environment that you can then walk around as an avatar and meet and chat and shop and play and date with other avatars. So if you think about like clubhouse functionality and then like Twitch text functionality built inside of interactive environments, but always within the real world, that's what Wormhole is. I made it sound way more complicated than it is. We made it very, very easy to use. I I have to see that at, at scale because I could imagine like using my cell phone to like map this office space, which is, I don't know, like 10 feet by 10 feet. But to do that inside of a stadium or yeah. downtown Tampa Bay, I'll have to see that in action. Shout out to Gianni. Uh, you know, he was hey. also a, a guest with you when you were on a guest on, on the Eat Flight podcast. He's in the comments said, hey, oh, I love Gianni? Gianni. He's just a ball of light. He's so nice. Yeah, he's cool people. He's cool people. Yeah, I, I mean, what what this is really optimized for is those kind of big moments. We always say that this is the first product that's ever tried to actively kill FOMO, right? Like, you, we know FOMO is a problem, and on LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram, it just gets worse because you're a passive asynchronous viewer to somebody else's amazing life. But like, what if you can take that Instagram photo and you can join them while that Instagram photo is happening and communicate with them and saying, "Oh, now show me that sunset over there." Or like, can you go live or out chat? I want to chat with that person you're chatting with, right? Like I'm sitting with Charles Barkley center court and I want somebody else to feel like they're doing this too. Like they could drop in, they can audio chat and then also see the environment. Like that's really what we're trying to nail here is killing that FOMO. Um, of course, during COVID, everybody's missing out on everything. So we doubled back on a B2B product called Wormhole Tours. We're using for virtual open houses for real estate. Um, but the B2C product is coming out in the next few months. And definitely, I, I use it, and I'm a very cynical person when it comes to things that I work on. I'm very honest about it. I use it, and I'm like, okay, I can see how this is special. So really excited for the world to see it, too. I'm still a little stuck here on, like, logistically, how does that work for, like, a basketball game, right? So, yeah. again, I see, like, because iPhone 
used to or still has that like panoramic feature and probably every phone has it now where you just like yeah. sit it down and it maps the entire room and then like you can see the whole room. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't that require someone to like do that every forever throughout the course of the basketball game? Like how do you 360 degree map what's happening in real time? Please explain yeah. it to me. No, totally. <laughs> so it's not actually a video that's creating the environment. So if you think of it more like Google Street View, right? Okay. You're capturing a moment in time. And of course, that moment in time is date and snap. Yeah, it's a snapshot. Okay. So okay. we have uh, AI and machine learning that will replace it. So if people do continually, like if you're at the LA Convention Center this week and it's uh, E3 and last mm-hmm. week it was an RV show, you don't want to see the RV show. But if somebody else does a smart bubble, then it overlays on that, and then you're not seeing the RV show anymore. But really, it's about creating that backdrop so that you have an environment, and then everything that's inside of it is what's dynamic until that next one is taken. So we don't want it to be laborious. We have it optimized so that someday when 360 cameras are available and everywhere, we're going to be able to take in live stream video or any background video. But for now, we want it to be like, super, super easy, can be used on any phone. You don't need to have LiDAR. You don't need to have any of that. And the way that we do it is through flat imagery, location-based services, and then persistent AR that exists within it as soon as you create it. Okay. I I saw last week that you shared that announcement that I want to say Samsung announced that they're going to have a TV that lets you see NFTs. And I remember from a year ago, you talking about like some of the scale issues with NFTs, like going mainstream Mm -hmm. and that being one of the issues. Can you you talk about some of the other things that you predicted that did happen in 2021 for NFTs and things that you predicted that might not have happened that maybe, maybe either won't happen or might be another year or two down the road. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to brag for a second. Forgive me. My 2021 predictions were amazingly spot on. I am usually not that right. I will I will bloviate all day and have a 50-50 hit percentage, but like that one was like I got it right down to Donald Trump getting kicked off social platforms and starting his own. Like I nailed it. Um but yeah, in the NFT world, I mean at that point it, like the concept of NFTs were I really didn't start making real predictions for NFTs until like February, March, right? Because at the point where Top Shot started blowing up, it was like, all right, now I can see this trajectory. Um, And at that point, I was helping Seth with Artaku, which was that company um, that we were working on together. And what what we nailed was the idea that the buying JPEGs unto itself, like scarcity within a market where there's unlimited minting makes very little sense. Um, so it's going to be about the utility, not what am I buying, but what is this me buying this get me right? Even board ape yacht club, for example. Yeah. You're a lot of people say, well, you're buying a picture of a monkey for a million dollars. No, you're buying the celebrity. You're buying underlying IP. You're buying the party that Drake performs at. Like you're essentially buying something that's more of a status symbol than any Rolex you can possibly have with a certain group. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there can't be unlimited of those just like there can't be unlimited Gucci's, right? Like there has to be a couple that are the elevated ones. But if you look at like V friends, there's real utility there and there's real community there. And like, you're going to be able to get into these live events and Gary V has a lot of followers that are into it. Or if you look at like what recur did with recur pass where it's like hate waiting in lines for all these NFT marketplaces. Well, now you get to get in early to all of them. Cool. That's worth 300 bucks to a lot of core NFT collectors or like Mm -hmm. even, 
like if you look at the baseball card collectors or Pokemon card collectors, like I'm really into Doctor Who Worlds Apart. It's a reality gaming group um, is launching card games that are NFTs. And Doctor Who is an IP I love. So I started buying packs of these, even though the game's not even launched yet, because buying those Mm. NFTs helps them launch the game. But then when they do, I'm going to have all of these cards that I can then play with. I think that that's where I really start getting interested is like, when am I getting into a community or am I getting something with utility that makes me um, immerse myself in an environment that's interesting to me, you know? Yeah, I I got into NBA Top Shot uh, too late. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's never too late, right? Because NFTs are, are early. But I remember I, I was moderating a panel. This was like November of what year? We, November 2020, 2020. Mm-hmm. And on it was the CEO of Game Credits, which is one of the first gaming cryptocurrencies in existence. And yeah, uh, I think the CEO of Splinterlands and I forget his name, but someone from Dapper Labs and, and they were talking about it. And and I don't know if you followed Jason Cassidy, but he's always, mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in the space for 10 years plus and yeah. was very early into NFTs and digital collectibles on, on the blockchain. So he's been talking about NBA Top Shot since they first launched, like back when, and I've listened to stories of people talk about like in the early days, you could sit in the queue, get a pack and jump back into the queue, like over and over and over again for an hour. Yeah. And all those series one would have been, you know, now they're all selling for 500 bucks. Like I, I was pretty early. I was like maybe February on Top Shot, but mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at that time being like, oh, I'm so late. Like, they're already on Series 2. And now I look back at my Series 2 and they all 5X, 6X. So I'm like, I, I don't think, you know, they, there's a saying in the both NFT and crypto world, which is the best time to buy was yesterday. And I always try to embrace that in a big way where it's like, it's never, it's never too late to go in, start learning, discover cool things. But ultimately, it's like if you're doing it speculatively, I also feel like you missed the point, right? Like, why I love Top Shot is because they've announced that they're going to make games out of it and they're going to like hardcore it's going to come out eventually. And like, I believe in Dapper's vision and the, I, like I love crypto kitties and yeah, I, I think that it's like I'm buying into an ecosystem that's going to evolve in interesting ways. You know, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break for some housekeeping items. And, and while we're doing this, if anyone in the audience here in Discord or on LinkedIn would like to ask Phil some questions live, we're going to take a quick Q&A live session break. But I want to just remind everyone that the IDO for Gamify is going to be on January 18th, both on Launchpool and Pancake Swap. I didn't write that down, but I remembered it because I never remember anything. So that was important. So anybody, if you have any questions, come in here and, and raise your hand. I'm glad to give you an opportunity to ask those for or of him and, and to him live. Uh, if if you missed the link on LinkedIn, I'll go post that link again so that you have that. Yeah, I saw uh, Dwayne Ellington said, is it like Matterport? Uh, I think that Matterport is an interesting comparison. They're really nailing spatial capture, like high-end spatial capture. We're trying to nail interactivity. So even though we're both doing environment capture, um, the the key differentiator is we're not trying to compete with them in terms of quality of exact spatial LiDAR-based expensive camera capture. We're trying to make environments that then people can go in and interact with and interact with each other. I'm going to turn my ring dike down a little. I noticed I look like a ghost. Hold on one sec. There we go. Ah, less ghosty. Okay, I love it. <laughs> less ghosty. 
Yeah. Do you it's think- weird because I've got a window right there, so as it gets darker out, counterintuitively, my ring light uh, adjusts and makes me look brighter and brighter because the background gets darker. We it's have a Zoom thing. We have a guest requesting. Oh. So I'm going to add him to the stage, and then Varun is also here. I didn't notice you were there, so we'll let uh, Varun. Since you're already at the stage, if you want to go ahead and ask your question, uh, what I'm going to do is repeat your question because. When I when this goes out to the podcast, they're not going to be able to hear your question, even though any everybody in Discord and everyone in LinkedIn can hear it. I've still got to figure out what the setting is so that everyone can hear it. So, Phil, the question was, what are your thoughts on the, you, the community aspect of utility? As in, let's say you're in this Discord server and you have one of the upcoming NFTs, which uh, should be dropping soon, and it, it then gives you access to extra channels here in the server or other experiences that are just, you know, only accessible and exclusive to those who own those NFTs. Yeah. And that seems to be the really hot thing in NFTs right now are these kind of PFP projects where what do you get from it? You get to join a discord of other people who bought it. Um, To be honest, I think that there's very few of those communities that are truly, truly meaningful. Like a lot of them want to be meaningful, but they want to be you can't become meaningful by saying you're meaningful, right? Like you have to be meaningful. Like to get into a board Ape Yacht Club one, yeah, you're all taking a ride. To get into one where you didn't even sell out the initial mint, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think that it's. I, I will challenge everyone out there that's doing PFP projects to think a bit deeper, right? Because if you're, if all you're doing is giving people access to a Discord that self-sustains. I understand why you would do it because you don't have to do a lot of work and you can sell something for a lot of money, but I don't feel like it's providing a ton of value to your audience. Like it feels like a little bit of a rug because the community is not that exclusive or interesting, right? It's, it's building upon itself. So what I would challenge people to do is really think about how much are you going to reinvest from the original uh, money you make from the drop back into the community in interesting ways, right? If you make a million dollars, are you willing to take 600 grand or 700 grand of that and send everybody a custom metal poster of their NFT that's signed by the original artist? Or are you willing to have the $100,000 party at NFT land in Vegas? Like, I feel like if you're not ready to do that and build it as a real business, then you're probably trying to play for something that was very hot last summer that shouldn't exist as much now. Great answer, Phil. Varun, did you have a follow-up question or, or something else that you wanted Phil to answer while you're here? Phil, I don't know if you heard that. I did not, know. Okay, so he was saying that that there was, in the community that he's in, which is Doodles, which is his profile pictures from the Doodles community, totally. uh, someone, there was a mistake on OpenSea and someone ended up selling um, their one of their profile picture NFTs for too little money or, or something happening. Basically, they lost the NFT and then the community came together and basically bought the NFT back to give back. Oh, to that's the user. nice. Yeah, I mean, Doodles is one of those winners, right? It's like a top ten project. There can't be that many Doodles, right? Like uh, when when I say that uh, people should think deeper, I know that on the I've looked at the Doodles roadmap. I forget what it is, but the community on Discord is interesting. But it's not it. Like Doodles is doing a lot of really interesting stuff. So so I just challenge people to think beyond just join my Discord. Because frankly, I've been in discords for a lot of smaller, like every once in a while, someone will airdrop me their NFT project so that I can 
promote it on my socials or whatever. They're like hoping that I'll promote it and I'll drop into the owner's discord and there'll be three messages a day. And those PFP projects are far more common than doodles, right? Like I'm part of Adam bomb squad. I love that discord. It's so much fun, but also it was like a clothing line first and it's a personality. It's a lifestyle. There's 25,000 of them. So it's a big community. They're all super supportive on Twitter. So it's like, I don't want to downplay the power of community. I just want to challenge people to think of what else you can offer to make sure that you're investing back into your project. That's a great point. Uh, and and uh, I have an NFT that I'm, I'm dropping for the book soon. I don't know cool. if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and basically what we're doing is creating uh, a 3D interactive book, which is the first entity of its kind for a book. And cool. it, it's it's custom content in there that, that is a, a sample out of what the book's going to have. And, and while what we're doing that has nothing to do with the NFT is that, that is extra access is like behind the scenes, seeing the book get printed and mm-hmm. access to tournaments and this other yeah. proprietary content, like uh, $5,000 worth of market research on esports viewership. You can only get access to it by having the NFT. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside of that, I'm partnered with the publisher to donate 20% of the book's net profits to nonprofits that support STEAM education. That's so while right. it's, it's not directly the NFT, it, it's, it's an extension of the sales that's supporting that goal. Yeah. Like I just bought an NFT the other day. Um, I God, now I'm going to forget. Lucky Goats. Because they uh, donate the proceeds to Heifer International, which is like like they buy. There's a lot of places in the world where if a family has a goat, then they can eat. And if a family doesn't have a goat, they can't. And Heifer International does amazing work where they just like are buying goats for families that really need these goats. So this is just like a physical representation or a, a digital representation of a really cool physical Thing. Like I love those kind of projects, but I challenge everybody to, who are making NFT projects to take the art out of it and take the actual NFT out of it and say, based on the utility alone, is this price? Does this pricing make sense? Right? Mm-hmm. And if they can defensively say yes, then I think they've got a heck of a project. If they say, well, I'm charging a hundred dollars to join a Discord server that right now only has a hundred people, but it will have a thousand people in it, and it's like. Uh, you, you're probably either overpricing it or you need to start thinking a little deeper about what you're offering back to your community, you know? Do you think that that it's uh, intentional that a lot of these drops are, are less than 10,000 or less and some of them less than 1,000? Is that because of the uh, minting fees would make sense, something that's on Ethereum, but with these layer two network opportunities, you know, you don't, I assume you don't have those same costs. Uh, so I, I'm wondering why it is it's two things that I see out of this space that feels like they're trying to artificially create FOMO. One is mm-hmm. is having that very short number of drops. And the other thing is like whenever I see emails about drops happen, they always happen within like 24 or 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that came from, but it, it's odd to me. Yeah, I, I think it's because it's still a highly speculative market. A lot of people that are buying are buying to flip, which I think sucks. Like anybody who's tried to get hard to get concert tickets hates flippers. Right? Like mm-hmm. the idea that t- the concert tickets sell out right away, but you can buy them on StubHub for twice as much. It's like, screw those people. That's happening in the NFT community like crazy. Like I tried to participate in a drop the other day. Um, God, what was it? Something bears. I forget. They're all they're all adjective animal, right? So it was an adjective bears, uh, and it sold out uh, very quickly. And it was a bummer because then they were all on OpenSea and they were all on OpenSea for like a thousand bucks. And I'm like, man, I just kind of want like 
I wanted to be part of it because I, I like the roadmap. So I, I, that's just to say that I think that in the future, there's going to, as we start realizing the utility behind NFTs, there's going to be more open mints. I think there'll always be a room for scarcity because there's something cool about owning something that's hard to own or being an early. But I think that more, that'll be more like Patreon, right? Where they can have as many patrons as they want. Um, and then they know what they're getting back from it and it can be recurring or, you know, what have you. Do you think that the other one of the other reasons that they keep the the mint numbers small is because at a larger amount, if they're you know it's supply and demand, if if you you know create exponential supply, then demand will will decrease that yeah. relative rate. Because uh, I've seen oh, I can't remember who it is. Uh, I, I can see the company's logo, but I can't think of it now. They partnered with Amazon Prime, did an NFT drop in, in Amazon Prime, and I'm thinking they had to have minted, you know, a hundred thousand or 200,000. I can't imagine they did only like 1000 or 10,000 of those. And then, so yeah. my natural next thought is like, what's the value of that NFT? If you are sending it out to a million, 10 million, a hundred million gamers. Right. Right. And I think we saw that from the space jam two NFTs, right? They did. They made so many, it was hard to get right. It, they sold out very quickly Well, sold out. They were given away for free. But I could go buy one for two bucks now on the resale market, right? Like <laughs> scarcity drives value. And if you're a project that's selling like a PFP project and part of it is you get to be part of this vibrant, desirable community and you can't even sell out your mint, that you're not a desirable community, right? Like it's proving that you can't, if you can't get 10,000 people to buy your thing and you're trying to hawk this as being super valuable, you got it wrong. Your pricing was wrong. Your go to market was wrong. So I think that a lot of people keep the mints really low because you have to, have to, have to sell out. So if you don't sell out, then it shows that you don't have any value. And generally, then those projects get rugged anyways. They just throw out the roadmap. They abandon it. I I, I don't know if you've ever been part of a project where the creators try start just walked away. It happens all the time in the NFT world where they're like, we're going to be the next Board Ape Yacht Club and blah, 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 blah. And they sell 10 and then they send out an email being like, I'm sorry, our founder died and my mom has cancer and I just have to leave this right now. And it's like, you were, this was a cash grab all along, right? Your cash grab didn't work. But it's hard to tell the difference. It's hard to tell the difference between the good projects and the bad projects, except look at the team and do you believe they're going to follow through on the roadmap? Does their reputation mean enough to them that they're going to follow through, you know? But it, and you, you mentioned that, right? Where like you, you have a men of a thousand or 10,000, you only sell a handful of them. So they quit the project. But I feel like that, that experience doesn't happen on the crypto side, or maybe it does. And I haven't paid enough attention to see it, but I always see like the opposite, like someone will do, for example, and maybe this isn't a good example, but the, the squid game token, which was a rug pull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they, they sold like 1.2 or something between the million and $2 million um, based on a, a unofficially uh, unofficial unlicensed token that had nothing to do with the IP, but they just jumped on the opportunity and kudos for the entrepreneurs for doing that. Yeah. Not kudos to them for basically scamming a bunch of people out of $1.5 million. Right. But, you know, I, I don't see that. I see like when these tokens pop up, like, and I guess because there's more pump and dump opportunity there than there are in NFTs, sort mm-hmm. of. What, what's your take on that? Yeah. I, well, it's so easy. I mean, relatively easy to spin up a coin, right? There, there's side chains and put up a white paper, especially if you're doing it outside of a regulated place like America or, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy scam to run. It's super, super easy. That's why you have to look at the team when it comes to coins too. On NFTs, it's, 
you, you at the very least have to put together compelling art, right? So like that, that adds just a little bit more of a barrier to entry. And if the art is really, really bad, um, then you like, you know, it's not, so I, I, I don't know. It's like making generative art, even if you've got like a, uh, a script to do it is tricky and it's, it requires a fair amount of minting and time. So yeah, I mean, I, there's, I think that there's going to be rugs in this, in this, in both crypto and NFTs for a long time. And the way that I've avoided it is looking at major platforms and looking at major creators. And like, I play a very safe game. Like Adam bomb squad isn't going to rug because their clothes brand is so valuable that this is the (laughs) NFT of their clothes brand. If they rugged on that, they could take down their entire empire and Bobby (laughs) hundreds not going to do that. Right. So like I, I look at those projects I, I've done some risks with smaller projects, but mostly if like if they like airdrop me one, then I'll give them a shout out or something, say thanks for the airdrop, but I'll never do like a full throated hey, for sure this is not a scam because who knows, you know? Right. Um but yeah, I mean it's 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 a buyer beware market. It's it's high it's new and it's scary and blockchain is pretty anonymous and be careful, you know. Both of us have experience in the esports space. I wonder what your take is on all of these recent partnerships. Like, you know, in the last 12 months, it's been a huge trend on on esports teams partnering with crypto companies and, yeah. and potentially doing, in some cases, doing NFT drops. A, does that mean that they've now distributed a security? Is that something that they should be worried about from the SEC and the IRS perspective? And then, uh, I don't know. I, I, I wonder what happens to the, the brand's image and, and its loyalty if you end up having something like that where the nfts aren't worth anything where we've got these highly valuable teams pushing like eight bit images and and right. which is a rabbit hole for me because of the subjectivity of art but mm-hmm. you know I, I see things that are going in the nft space that i would not see in any regular art ecosystem yes that's a <laughs> fact and that's why i mean i Frankly, I don't think that the art of NFTs should or does matter that much, right? It's a lot of people are either getting it speculatively or they're getting it for the utility. There's a reason why everything's a pudgy penguin or like they're objectively lame, right? Like if you were to see it in a kid's bedroom, you'd be like, okay, that makes sense. But other than that, we should not be spending a hundred dollars on a pudgy penguin picture, right? But it's like if if the community is valuable enough for the utility or the roadmap or they're going to make a game or blah, 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 that can become valuable. The gaming community is really interesting when it comes to NFTs. One is the gaming community is a tough community, right? They, you're either in or you're out. And NFTs got a couple of bad reputations very early. One is I feel like everybody in the NFT community was being too speculative too early and bragging about how much money they were making instead of it being valuable for other reasons. And it gave it a terrible reputation for being scammy. And a fair amount of it is. So I, I think that some of that is pretty deserved. Um, two is gamers care about the fun of the game above all else. And if people start playing a game to make money instead of to have fun, it can ruin a game. So even though it hasn't really happened yet, like Axie Infinity was always about, you know, the play to earn and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I don't think anyone would say Axie Infinity is like a fun game if it wasn't for like (laughs) making the money i don't think anyone would play it um but if you had something that was as fun as pokemon go but also had some play to earn in it maybe right or or like blanco's block party for example i've had a lot of fun with it and i bought some of those nfts 
it's mm. simple. It's like fall guys with, with little laser guns sometimes, but it's like, it's cute and it's fun. And I've, I have fun with it. I think a lot of people are just afraid that once you introduce this into the gaming ecosystem, everything's going to be destroyed. And I think some people will do it well and some people will do it terribly. I know for a fact, as somebody who grew up with ev- playing every Final Fantasy since Final Fantasy one, that the thought of, uh, NFTs entering the Final Fantasy universe, I think can be done well, but I think that there's a higher probability of it not being done well. So I keep my fingers crossed that Square does a good job with it, um, where it's like more about, hey, my friend is also playing this. I can trade swords very much like I do in World of Warcraft, except it just happens to be on a blockchain and it, it therefore has like history that carries along with it, levels that carries along with it, and not like spend $100 on a cloud's uh, individually numbered sword that comes into this and it makes you hyperpowered and you can kill anyone. It's like, ugh. Like, can't, didn't we learn from the way EA was dragged for all the early DLC stuff they did that, like, you gotta be careful about what you charge people for? Like, if it needs to feel as, like, breezy as Fortnite. I buy a $20 Batman skin because I like Batman and I get to be Batman in this game, right? Like, it, I feel like NFTs need to feel a little bit more like that. And then the gaming community will be like, all right, you know. GameStop recently announced kind of cryptically. Uh, well, I guess they announced like six months ago that they were going to, they were starting to hire someone to build their NFT kind of metaverse strategy. And then I don't know if you saw, they dropped that site where you could like, it had a Game Boy on it. You could sign yeah. up. I was going to sign up. And then, you know, I thought about GameStop and, and I thought about that page. I, I can't understand where NFTs would make sense for them. Mm-hmm. And I also generally don't trust GameStop. having been a <laughs> customer of GameStop for decades. That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm more of a Funko Land guy, too. I kind of stopped going to those used game things. I'm an eBay fan when it comes to my used games, partially because I buy mostly like SNES and NES games these days anyways. Um but yeah, it's, I, I mean, it, look, it all makes me nervous. Like Radio Shack put out their coin and like, I was excited about it because I was like, the idea of a dying business trying to reinvent themselves in Web3 excites me because it's like, yeah, take your swing, dude. Like if your company's not working, go big. And then when to, to find out that it was, uh, what's his name? That one, like dude that takes a picture of himself in front of Lamborghinis doing it. I was like, ugh, just like, oh, I feel just gross. So, I, I mean, it's it's like anything online. It's a fine line between, like, cringy and genius. And you really want to fall on the right side of that because it can tank a brand really quickly. And most NFT plays, if you look at to- total NFT market, same for total crypto market, has been pretty cringy. There's some great stuff in there. And there's some really fun stuff in there. I've had a blast with a lot of the platforms. But in the gaming side... Yeah, it does make me nervous. I have faith in the people I have faith in that will do great stuff, right? That, like, I, I believe that a Grand Theft Auto can introduce NFTs and do it and do it well. I believe that to my core because so much of Grand Theft Auto is about making money and robbing banks and starting businesses. And I'm like, it feels like a crypto or NFT thing could do very, very well there. Do I want it in Final Fantasy? No, I don't. I hope they do well. I just don't want it there. It just doesn't feel good to me, you know? What well, wasn't it Diablo 3 that had the auction house? They had to get rid of it because yeah. it basically destroyed the in-game economy. And I guess, you know, you can't yeah. dupe items. Hopefully, you can't dupe items on the blockchain. I mean, that's that's the whole theory behind it, 
the entire structure behind it, how it works. But you know, that's a, one example that wasn't even on the blockchain because yeah. like the incentive, the core incentive of the game went away from playing the game to making money and it destroyed the entire game. Right, right. But I do see like, there. I mean, I love cosmetics for NFTs. Like the same way that I... I want the ability if I buy a Fortnite skin when I'm done playing Fortnite to be able to sell it back and maybe I'll make money or maybe I'll lose money or maybe because they're like, Hey, I like Phil Ranton. He used to own this. Maybe that's value, right? Like let, let that be up to them. But I, I love that concept because I want to get my money back out when I'm done with a game because we all get done with games eventually. Right. Uh, it's, it makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, when it comes to goods that can make a game easier or harder, I really struggle because like in a way it could ruin online gaming. I mean, I'm, I'm old school. I play mostly story games anyway, so I don't do a lot of online gaming, but like Mm -hmm. when I do play online gaming, I don't want some kid to be able to spend $10,000 and automatically be able to school me. And like, I don't want that. I want it to be leveled, you know, We, we had some questions that show up here in LinkedIn that weren't in the restream. So I'm just going to ask those really quickly. Sure. Um, maybe we, we've already discussed this. Do you, you have any new insights on play to earn and NFT games for the upcoming year or, or, or bold predictions about that for the upcoming year? Yeah, I think play to earn is, is going to be a big deal. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of battles between the core gamers saying play to earn gamers are not real gamers the same way that we did when mobile <laughs> games started getting good. Right. Like, and you're like, that's not a gamer. He plays Pokemon go, or he plays a uh, clash. Right. And it's like, come on, get, like they're playing games. They're gamers. Like why, what's with this purity testing? Um, but yeah, play to earn. I think that there are a certain amount of people out there that have fun playing to earn right <laughs> and i think that we just need to be able to mentally separate that not everything has to be play to earn and like they can have fun doing their thing and we can have fun doing our thing and that's okay on both sides i think there will be some games that are play to earn that will be genuinely fun i think it's going to take a very deft creator right like i was playing witcher 3 the other day because i watched uh witcher season 3 and i was like uh or season 2 and i was like I got I got to revisit this. It's fun. And I was thinking like I feel like playing Gwent could be an NFT or blockchain thing as long as they kept it out of the rest of the game, right? Like that one element of the game would be super super fun to be able to like get cards and own cards and get and like level them up and trade them like that would be cool. So as long as people are thinking like small and elegant, I like it. Um I think NFT games are also going to be explosive. I think there's like, look at Mythical raised like $75 million for Blancos or for the Blancos ecosystem before the game even got out of beta. Like, that, right. that's going to happen a lot because uh, investors will understand the economy part of it better than they do on like a Fortnite where it's like, we're making this really high-powered game and it's free to play, but kids will buy skins. I think a lot of investors hear that and they're like, really? That sounds risky. Whereas that it's way de-risked in these these NFT games. So... Um, so yeah, it's like, I, I think that it's going to be explosive. I think a lot of people are going to do it wrong, but I think the ones that are going to do it right are going to create billion dollar game studios. We have a, a comment in, wanted to get your take on this from Alex Bamberg. And he's, he's been in the esports ecosystem for a long time. 
says the current issue with NFT and in-game space is that the point of entry is either too high financially or the value you can earn is too diluted to be of purpose. Any yeah. digital card game, he's he's commenting with you that any digital card game should be tied to an NFT. Yeah, I agree. Digital card games and NFTs, look, we all played, well, everyone of my generation played Pokemon cards. That was essentially like an NFT game, right? <laughs> so it's like we've we've seen it work before. So like, you know, it, you know it's possible. Um yeah, it's it's tough because yeah, I mean the, the I I don't like the too high a price point thing. Like I don't like the kind of uh rarity within a game for a, an item that makes it too expensive. Like I feel like now that NFTs are getting more and more popular, the price will come down on most of it and it'll come back down to earth. Like if I'm going to pay $20 for a DLC, Maybe I'll pay twenty five dollars because it's on a blockchain and it's got or thirty dollars. So I think I might make money or even out when I resell it. That makes sense to me. But the idea of like a thousand dollar sword is like, ah, that does, doesn't interest me as much. And yeah, the value you earn is too diluted to be a purpose. I think we're seeing that with Axie Infinity. Like, where is it really blowing up? It's blowing up in places where the cost of living is so low that that money is meaningful. If you make three dollars an hour playing the game then that's great in some places in the world. So mm-hmm. like, cool. Those, those places work in those, but in, uh, in America, it's, you know, making $3 an hour might be right if the game is fun. And then it's like, yeah, I get to have fun and I make $3 an hour. But other than that, it's, it's tough, you know? I think that's the pipe dream for me of NFT gaming is, is to a future where people, gamers can make a full-time living playing video games. Like I've, I've dreamed to do that my entire life. It's like, if I could just only play video games, like that's yeah. my job. And then, you know, I don't have to be rich. I just want to be comfortable. Like go to right. the, the fridge, get some food, go back and play video games and then go to sleep. Let me tell you something <laughs> about being a Twitch streamer then. Cause uh, <laughs> boy, boy, do I have some magic beans to sell you then? Cause <laughs> No, but seriously, that's like that's the reason why I got so heads down in game streaming when that market started exploding. Like when I left the MCN world, I essentially went from a C level position at a huge company to a head of position at a very small company because I just wanted to be immersed in game streaming. Because I saw people, this was like just pre Ninja blowing up. I saw some people start to do okay enough on Twitch to make a living, and I'm like. They have my dream job. I need to get close to this, right? <laughs> then, of course, there was explosions and millions of dollars and minimum guarantees. But I, I, I tend to agree. I think there's going to be some games that really crack the code. But I feel like it's going to start with, uh, as they as they said in the console wars, the game has to be the game, right? The game has to be great. And then if you have play to earn on top of it that doesn't ruin the game, all the better, you know? Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, content is still king. Yep, absolutely. It's got to be fun. That's the hardest part about video games is there's very... I mean, and the bar is constantly getting raised, right? I go back and play a lot of 8 Nintendo games, and I have nostalgia fun with it. But, like, I remember Mario Brothers 3 being the most mind-blowingly amazing fun game I ever played. And I was so addicted, I would dream of it. Or, like, Mega Man 2. And now I play it for 10 minutes, and I'm like, ah, I could go back to Red Dead Redemption 2 and ride my horse around for a while. <laughs> see what adventures I can get into. But, like, and that bar is going to keep going up and up and up. So it's not going to be easy, but there's, I mean, there's just so much creativity in the gaming space that the companies that do it right will keep doing it right, hopefully. 
do you think we'll start to see more games, like fun games, speaking of kind of NFT gaming in the metaverse, but in, in the AR sense, similar to what you're talking about, like a digital twin space, or I don't know if that's on, on Wormhole's roadmap, or you can even speak to that, but what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, with Wormhole, we're, we've built a platform now where we would consider it a white label solution. Like if someone wanted to build the next Pokemon Go, we have a very nice digital map and really great interactivity features people can tie into with an SDK or an API and make that really quickly without having to pitch it through to Niantic. Um, but I think that the that a lot of games are going to be built in the AR space uh, that are going to be pretty cool. Um, I mean, I was a huge fan of geocaching, if you remember that back in the day, because the idea that I could use location-based <laughs> services on my phone to find little capsules with little messages on it was like, what? What is... Like, it was mind-blowing. I don't even know if people still geocache. They must, but... Probably um, with like, Bitcoin or, or something. Exactly. You go mm-hmm. in and you find a wallet address and you have to type it in perfectly. And um, But yeah, it's. Uh, I think AR games are going to be a big part of the future. I think it's going to live more in the casual gaming sphere. I think hardcore gaming still requires that like focused, like I'm sitting in front of my computer, not focused like VR, because I think there will be some higher end AAA VR titles that are must plays, but I still don't believe that you know, that VR is going to take over the the desktop experience. Same way with holograms. I think there's going to be amazing hologram games in the future. I, I don't see it taking over fully the kind of playing on a screen experience. Do you expect to see esports teams and, and gaming publishers that start to build in, into metaverses? I don't know if we, you know, we start to see, what do they call them? Um... Uh, Whatever the term is where you have a country and they have like a little facility inside of your country. I don't know yeah. why I'm blank on that because I haven't had coffee. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Embassy yeah. is the word I was looking for. Right, wow. Right. There we go. <laughs> I was we'll blanking on see- it too, so don't worry. Do you, do you uh, think we'll start to see something like that from from these companies? Because, you know, gaming companies, you, you know, you've played them. You know, the metaverse is, and I said this in the last episode, the metaverse has been in the gaming industry for decades. So yeah. will we start to see more of that, more of our favorite IP in, in these spaces? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, like, esports is so baby new still, right? It's uh, It's something that we've been talking about since we all saw The Wizard, speaking of Super Mario 3. And, like... We're like, oh, someday we're all going to be on stage playing video games and competing. I've only been competitive level in two games ever, and it's been a while. So, and it was Tony Hawk Pro Skater Four and uh, Garage Band Three. Those were the two. Um, so, I, I have not been competitive level, but I do see like, will there be a like if Beat Saber keeps going, where there'll be like a Beat Saber esports league that'll be meaningful? Yeah, sure, right. Uh, if if there's a play to earn game that's like that feels like rocket league, but it's play to earn. And like people have like a NASCAR ability to really deck out cosmetically their thing based on how much they win. Yeah, I think so. I think at the end of the day though, it's always going to be second to is the game elegant, easy to follow skill based where you can constantly enhance and refine your skills. Fun to watch, fun to play, fun to stream more and more like kids get into esports by watching their favorite Twitch streamers more and more. So like I I still look at Fortnite and I'm like, would this ever have been such a big esport if it wasn't for Ninja or if it wasn't for it blowing up on Twitch? I don't know. Like there's a lot mm. of games that are, that esport better than Fortnite in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that you're gonna see all of it, right? It's I I think that some of it is still has to surround like how many esports can be explosively huge at once, right? You can't have 
a hundred games have huge esports seasons, or it might just spread the spread the fan base out too thin. Maybe you can and just have smaller pools, but um, but yeah, I see. I think all of that's going to happen. It just has to. It requires the right game developers and right community. I'm trying to remember that quote that you have in my book, and thank you for contributing thought leadership to it. You said, uh, "Let's not talk about the size of esports viewership, but the depth of fandom." Yeah. I'm butchering it. But but that's right, right? Which is like not that, that but I was right in the past, but <laughs> but no, it's true. It's like uh if you're if you're looking at this in terms of like, well, if you compare that to the Super Bowl, it doesn't get as much read. It's like you're totally missing the point. Seventy-five percent of people are watching the Super Bowl are watching it just because it's the Super Bowl. They're eating KFC, they're like talking to their friends, they're smoking a cigarette on the back porch, they're drinking a beer, right? Like you go to an esports uh, like any competition and people are like, ah, like ripping their hair out, watching overwatch <laughs> and like nerding out about their favorite character. It's like a rabid base. Unlike anything you've ever seen. It actually reminds me a lot more of like college football where mm-hmm. it's like, people are so fanatical there. You just don't see it in NFL games in the same way generally. Um, but you see it in esports, and you see it like in every esport. So that should give people faith that buying into this shouldn't just be about dumb metrics. It should be about like the, how many eyeballs are you getting? And then how obsessed are these eyeballs with what they're watching? You know, they're engaged. We did have a question come in from Xavier Gray says, how do you see gamification having an impact on the world of finance or business? Oh, and already has. (laughs) I mean, if you just look at the GameStop saga and the AMC saga, like I consider that to be people playing the stock market like a video game. They were like, what can I get away? It did feel very Grand Theft Auto-y to me. Like, what can I get away with? Is this okay? Are we going to get arrested? Oh my gosh, we're destroying financial markets. Go, 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 go. Um, but yeah, I see that more and more happening because technology is going to continue to try to solve for pain points. And a lot of pain points are, this is hard to do. And as things become easier to do, people find a way to make it funny and make it a game and use the power of community and internets to mess with it. And I think that there is going to be, I mean, the stock markets, let's face it, it's always been a game, right? Like this is the gross thing as you start learning more and more about the stock market. It's not about the strength and stability of businesses. If it was, Honda would be above Tesla right now. Look at just sales, right? GM, GM's doing way better than Tesla. But like Mm. Tesla's got swagger and it's got heat and it's got like a future story. It's got Elon Musk tweeting and blah, blah, blah. And therefore it becomes one of the most valuable companies in the world, even though it probably shouldn't be, right? It's a game. Um, So yeah, I mean, everything's going to continue getting more and more gamified until nothing makes sense anymore. And then the comedians and absurdists will rise. And uh, all the people who grew up playing Halo will go, oh, it's a game. I get this. Let's figure out how to refine, refine, refine. And then we enter the slipstream and we become the the eccentric billionaires of the future. That's the dream, right? That's, That's what everyone dream. is trying to do. And you're going to be first to market with with the uh, cynical comedy about everything that's happening. I think so. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of, in a weird way, a lot of people who read my LinkedIn are like, Oh, one of the reasons why I like your LinkedIn is because it sounds like you talk, like you slip in like digs and jokes and stuff in between it. I'm like, yeah, I, I've never really learned how to not write in my voice and in the cadence that I speak. <laughs> like, I just don't have, I have no polish when it comes, like, I can't buzzword it up too much. Um, but yeah, I also feel like that's part of the power of it, right? Is like, 
those who learn to speak internet and those who learn to speak gaming are going to be the ones that run internet and run gaming in the future. So mm-hmm. I forgot where that started, but yeah, I swear I had a point somewhere in there. Somewhere, somewhere. Somewhere. I- we're going to take another quick break. If anyone wants to jump in and ask questions for Phil Live, we've got about another 15, 20 minutes left on this episode. Glad to promote you to the stage so you can ask a question. We'll figure out how to get the sound so that Phil can hear it. Otherwise, I'll just repeat the question like I did before. That worked. Yeah, it did. It did. We have a system. <laughs> While we're waiting on someone to raise their hand, do you have any games that you're really excited for, NFT, kind of metaverse, or otherwise for 2022? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I really keep, I'm keeping my eyes very closely on mythical and what they're doing with Blanco's. I think a lot of people are still sleeping on it. I, I get the broader vision there. Like if you want to overly simplify it, they're like, let's take like the fun of collecting Funko pops, but you get to play your Funko pops. Right. Mm -hmm. And right now, yeah, it's kind of a fall guys clone, but really these kind of Funko pop characters can be in a lot of contexts, right? Like they could be sitting at a Texas Hold'em table. They could be like, and I think that that's really what they're doing is they're kind of finding these assets as a form of funding, lots of really interesting games. Um, So yeah, super into that. To be honest, in terms of buying new releases, since Lucy was born two and a half years ago, I have not been keeping up on new releases. Well, Uh, I'm like ashamed to my gaming community, but um Really excited to dig into a lot of the games I have. I've I've had Avengers now for a while, and I'm like three hours in. I think it's really fun. Like Square really forgives some of the sins they had with Avengers through this one. Like it feels like Avengers, except Avengers was a mess to play, and this one feels a little bit more like I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. What other? I know that there's more games I'm excited about. Now I'm totally blanking. I'm gonna quit Google Games coming out in 2022 because. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't see. I mean, I play every Pokemon. So Pokemon Legends Arceus, of course, I'm going to be in on there. Just like Gran Turismo, I feel like I now kind of like buy those games because I have to, right? (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, this is fun. Like, I feel like racing games, that Mario Kart are the kind of things that I'd like will always go back to and have fun with. So I'm actually Yeah, mostly what I'm playing is like uh, Mario Kart, Mario Party. And this is Mario Party, we got to link up on Switch. I just got yeah. the, uh, yeah, my buddy John Carl just got me the new Mario Party because I told him I was only playing Switch games because you can pick it up and set it down quickly uh, mm-hmm. with the kids. Um, ooh, they have a new Advance Wars coming out on Switch too. I find myself only getting excited for the Switch because I know that's all I'm going to be able to play with the kids. Like they'll be watching Blippy on TV and I'll be able to sneak a gaming session on the side. So. But I got really deep. I worked on a cruise ship for two years in my 20s. I was a comedian on a cruise ship. And uh, Advance Wars for the which the original Nintendo DS, I think, just came out. It would have been like 2010, 2009, maybe. Um, and I played probably 300 hours of that game. I was in. Uh, but I was also huge into, like, Shining Force for the Genesis. So, like, those turn-based, gridded, like chess but everybody has different skills kind of games they get me i'm addicted like final fantasy um tactics so good we had another question coming in from Dwayne. another Mm -hmm. notification from discord so i've got to clear that one first says can you suggest any curriculum for teenagers Uh, and i guess he's asking about you know learning about nfts in the metaverse yeah i mean the the 
God, the, the most valuable education you can get is just downloading all of them and diving really deep. Like what I like to do is go into the app store to the top 100 free apps, find all the ones I don't know what they do, download them and say, oh, I, why? Why is this in the top 100? Do they have smart marketing? Do they, is there like a real value here? Is it something where they just put a bunch of money behind Logan Paul shouting it out? And that's why it stumbled in here. Um, but like all of those things just teach you to critically think about the market. Um, if you're talking about specifically for gaming and esports, so much of it is get really down and dirty with the companies, get that internship, offer to help someone for free, offer to help a streamer for free to to moderate their Twitch channel. And like you gotta dig in because yeah, you can take college curriculum now on esports. There's a lot of like Coursera, spend five hundred dollars and learn about the esports business. They're going to be talking about it from a very like high level business model thing. Like I think Marcus probably vouched for this. You if until you've gone to the tournaments and sat where the executives sit and listened to how they talk about how this market really runs, you don't know anything, right? Because <laughs> then you're like, well, why aren't people sponsoring this? Why aren't people stumbling over themselves in order to get into this market? Why hasn't it hit that slipstream yet, right? You start to learn as you start to hear about the people who are having these negotiations with Coca-Cola and hearing why they said no, right? And that's yeah. all if you offer yourself up and like I I have been a C-level executive now for almost a decade and I still do a wild amount of free work just to learn. I did in the NFT market last year a lot learning is the most valuable thing you can do for your career. So do stuff for free and learn, 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 do it with the smartest people, you know, now I have to co-sign on that. The other reason I think is that's important is because the NFT and metaverse space is evolving so rapidly that not only is it just a 3000 foot view, if you take the esports example, but from a technology perspective and business norms perspective, it takes like what, 12 to 18, in some cases, 24 months to get curriculum approved into the traditional education structure. Yeah. And then, so if it gets approved in two years and then you're a freshman, you learn that course and you're going to get your degree, it's now another four to five years. So it could be like seven, six to seven years from the time that content was created when it was relevant and present to the time you're now using it in a business ecosystem and environment. And very likely it's wildly outdated. Totally. Yeah. And right, right now at We Are Verified, we're actually looking for a couple of NFT interns. So if you're interested, hit me up on LinkedIn. We don't care if you're in high school or you're in college or like, are you passionate about it? Do you want to learn how our drops work? Hit me up. I'll get you in touch with that team and we can we can figure it out. That's awesome. Do we have any other questions from the audience? We're rolling down here to the last 10 minutes or so. If you have any on LinkedIn, um, you can send those in the chat. We're sitting here on Restream so we can see some of those as well. And while we're waiting on that, Phil, if you'll share a little bit more about what you see for Metaverse and, and NFT space for 2022 and then tell people where they can find you. Yeah, totally. So Metaverse and NFT space is going to be very interesting in 2022 because I, I always ask the same question when people are like, I love the Metaverse. I'm heads down in the Metaverse. Ever, like My LinkedIn title was changed to Master of the Metaverse. I say, cool. What Metaverses are you using every day and how and why? How long? And the answer is always, well, not none yet, but you know, you're, you wait, <laughs> you just wait. I've got my buddy is setting up a metaverse to blow your mind, right? Like it, it's just not there yet as a market. So I think what we have to do is look at everything with 
a level head and think about what do we really want from the metaverse and what are the baby steps it takes to get there, right? Like what I want from the metaverse is to be able to have a better social interaction than what I can get from Zoom or social media, right? That could be voice chat, contextual text chat, right? Those are things that we're trying to take on wormhole because we do feel like it's genuinely better than what they have. Do I want to have my business meetings where I put on an Oculus and I'm sitting around a virtual table instead of a real table? No, Mark Zuckerberg, who's asking for this? Nobody, right? Like, I think that we all have to take that point of view of asking. I mean, it's so business 101, but I feel like nobody does it still, which is like, answer the why. Where's the hole in the market? What do you really want? So I think what you're going to see is a lot of uh, metaverse entrances that are pragmatic and make sense. Niantic is going to keep doing cool stuff with real-world gaming, AR, metaverse spaces. Fortnite, Minecraft, Roblox, this focus on the metaverse is going to force them to continue building in more social features, which is going to be a very good thing for players and for them. So I'm really excited about that. You're going to see more companies like Wormhole come up that are trying to solve a very specific problem. And then you're going to see a lot of big companies like Meta say they're metaverse companies with mixed results. Maybe they're going to come out with the most mind, like maybe Horizon Worlds is going to be the most mind-blowing thing I've ever seen in my life, and I'll be eating my words. I don't know. I jumped into the beta, and it felt like AltSpace to me, and I was using AltSpace four years ago, and it was cool four years ago, but it's now 2022. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see where it solves a real problem yet, so I'm excited to be proven wrong. And I then, agree. yeah, where you can find me, it's at Phil Rant on all social platforms. So I'm I'm boring. My my crypto name is Punkish because you have to hide things a little bit. Um, so you can find me on those there. But like, I don't have anything that compelling on those. You know, it's just you could look in my wallets and see what what crazy stuff has been airdropped to me. Yeah, we we did a a um, esports conference and career expo in Decentraland back in February when the Super cool. Bowl came here to Tampa Bay, and and that was I, I, in my mind a legitimate and meaningful use of using the metaverse because we had also, you know, the career fair where different companies, we set up their own booths. So it had their logo and, and because of the way it was set up, like you could go and stand in front of a booth and only people who were standing at that booth basically could hear the conversation happening at that booth. That's cool. I love spatial audio. There's some really cool companies out there doing spatial audio. And yeah, I think that like, I think that there is a lot of value to those things, but it's kind of like it's, it's value because it's a game, right? It's like a fun it's like a fun game that also has some social features. And I feel like that's the way to look at it, right? Is this making it more fun or joyous or easier or, you know, like nothing should be like, oh, wow, the wow factor is going to be so big that even though this is a pain in the ass, it's people are going to use it. Like a lot of people are taking that approach. And I feel like that's just the wrong approach. Do you think that people at home would start using VR at a day-to-day basis around like viewing live content. Like you, you mentioned basketball games and maybe concert performances, like being ringside. Is is that something that's compelling to use VR on a regular basis? If, yeah, if I, like the, if the, the office model doesn't make sense to you. Yeah. I think in some contexts, but I still kind of view that as novelties. Like there was, um, God, what was it? It was the, the first ever VR project that won, an Emmy, I believe, uh, Pearl. It was, a uh, a, a project by Google. Um, and it was like a, it wasn't even VR really. It was like 360 video, 
But I remember the first time I had it, I cried like a baby. I thought it was really effective. And it was something that would not have affected me in that way if I was watching it on TV. Like there's, I think there's going to be places and spaces for that. And of course, a lot of people point out that like the, the more that it matters that it's immersive, the more that it makes sense. And I tend to agree with that, right? Like if the point of it is that you want to imagine yourself as the character, I see movies and TV shows and or those equivalents having uh, VR specialization that's important, but I don't think that it's one size fits all. If I'm watching SpongeBob SquarePants, I don't want to watch it in VR. I'm fine with that on TV. Yeah, I think I heard there was a, a simulator where you could be like Harriet Tubman through the Underground Railroad um, and other experiences like that where you can it, it, being in VR can help reinforce empathy because, like yeah. you said, you can you can be in the shoes, the virtual shoes of of a different character or a different experience from your own. Yeah. And frankly, a lot of the stuff I like the most in terms of those are the documentaries where it's like a document. There was one that was talking about uh, lunch counters in the South during the segregation eras where they actually like sat you down at a lunch counter. And it was like, uh, you cannot do that in the same way on a television. Like that mm-hmm. stuff is made for it. Unfortunately, that's still the minority of the stuff that's being made for it. A lot of it is just like, Hey, this is a trailer for the Goosebumps movie, and it feels like you're in a car with Jack Black. And I'm like, I don't care. I mean, like, this just doesn't feel necessary to the world. So, so we'll have to just keep waiting for the gaming industry to push the, the limits on that, then. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah, I, I mean that like Population One, which is trying to be the Fortnite of the of the uh, VR world. Like, I played it. I get it. Like, it's cool. It's super cool. I still get nauseous. Because VR makes me a little <laughs> nauseous sometimes when it moves too fast. But, like, I think that there's going to be the or, uh, or Medal of Honor uh, on VR. It feels like you're in World War One. It's mind-blowing. It's really cool. But I think that, like, I, the creative still needs to get there. I don't feel like there's enough great applications that I'm telling everybody to run out and buy a VR headset. If you're All a Rick right. and Morty fan, do it. Because Accounting Plus and Trover Saves the Universe is hilarious if you're a Rick and Morty fan. So... He's doing a great job with his VR studio. Was it uh, Owl something? Squanch Owl? Owl? Uh, uh, yeah, it was Squanch Tendo, and then they had to change it because Nintendo got mad. And now I think it's just Squanch Games now. Yeah, Nintendo yeah. Is, is always protecting their IP. As they should. I mean, it's a 150-year-old company. They got to do it. Well, thank you for your time, Phil. Uh, we appreciate everyone in the audience does, and I do, that, that we had this conversation. Tons of insights. Uh, I'll probably see you have your own thing coming up tomorrow, right? You'll, you'll or you'll be on a panel for something on LinkedIn. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Before we go? So uh, I'm going to be doing a LinkedIn live through their drop in audio chat feature, which uh, comes out in early alpha tomorrow, I believe. So it might be buggy warning. Uh, and I'm going to be talking to the, we are verified team, which is an influencer management company. And they're going to be sharing some insights that they see from the front lines of the influencer world, some gaming stuff and some NFT stuff. I'm sure will be woven in there. Be sure to, to log in, take notes. Hopefully I'll have some caffeine. I'll be nice and awake. There you go. I love it. Coffee it up. Well, we will see you all again at the next episode. We're, we're finalizing the date and the time with our upcoming guests, but definitely we have two or three others lined up between here and the launch on January 18th. So stay tuned for more information. Thanks, friends.